Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Marino, and I let Tyler take the week off. That's right. Uh, everybody knows that I had a few snowboarding accidents and Tyler had to pick up my slack. So I'm, it's payback time. Uh, this time I'm going to be the, the host and Tyler hopefully will be listening probably next week. Uh, anyway, as everyone knows, we've kind of been talking about this for the best of a little over a year since I moved out here. I live in a small town of Salida, Colorado, and I have a, a new guest today, John Fritz. I met John because I'm a big fan of artificial turf. I first had it in my rentals down in Florida because, you know, the, the grass looks great in the summertime, but it burns come like August. It floods the hurricanes. So when I switched to the artificial turf, I love it. Believe it or not, the dogs love it. And actually, it was a huge selling point when I sold those rentals in Florida, too, believe it or not. Just having the pictures, people come to visit a house that they want to buy and the turf looks perfect all the time and green. Believe it or not, that was a great investment. And that's why I got the same thing over here. So that's where I met John Fritz. And I want to bring John on because that past few podcasts, you probably heard my struggles. I currently fly for a major airline. That uh, is potentially not potentially going bankrupt. They won't admit it, but it's my job at W two income is no longer secure, and that plus the accident I had on the on the slopes snowboarding was a big wake up call. John, I don't know if you know. So well, when I woke up from surgery, that's when I found out my airline is potentially going bankrupt. So it was a big wake up call. Like you know, I've got a few side hustles, but I need I need more. And I think everybody listening can think uh, could think of good reasons uh, for the same reason to go out there and have a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth source of income. And John, when I met him and he did my yard, I learned that he's a serial entrepreneur. He literally has a problem starting businesses. <laughs> so, John Fritz, thanks so much for joining. My pleasure, Michael. Yeah, it was a pleasure meeting you last year. And yeah, there's. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot to say, but happy to be here, and hopefully, there's some things that I maybe my story is relevant to some other people that are maybe trying to get in the same same boat as me. I think so. So, John, I don't know if you know. A few years back, even before I started real estate, I, I read all the Rich Dad Poor Dad books, all the Purple books, and there was one line I think it was in his third book that always resonated me with me, and he mentioned you need to stop. And think what you have, either physically or mentally, some type of knowledge that can make you money now, right now. And at, at the time I started my first business, it was real simple. I, I bought a 15-passenger van, and I started a van pool business to bring my coworkers to and from work, and I had the government pay for it. And it was real, real small, but... In the end, when I first started my first airline gig, everyone knows, they do, if they don't know, the first year you did get paid very little. And having that second source of income saved me. So just like you, John, you know, I, I think of that same line from Rich Dad, Poor Dad. What do I have? What in knowledge-wise that can make me money now with as little money down as possible? And when I heard your story, it reminded me of what I started, that little thing in the past, and what I need to continue. Because I think a lot of listeners think this this, I need to get a McDonald's franchise. I need to get something big that will replace my W income tomorrow. Mm -hmm. and, and that's it. Great and all, but you got to take baby steps. You know, uh, oh, yeah. having a large franchise takes a lot of time and a lot of money. But 
I think it's fun. And it sounds like you think it's fun too, John, to start small and start with a lot of small stuff. So can you run down some of the small businesses that you have? I can't even keep track of them. Yeah, yeah. I will. So that line from that book you know, really resonates with what was in my head when I was thinking about starting a, a youth hostel. So here in Salida, and that was, how can I make money doing what I'm doing when I'm not working? Yes. Because that must be what I really want to do. So I spent a lot of time back in Minneapolis having people over, hosting parties, hosting dinners, getting people to go camping. And so I was thinking about all these things that I was spending my time on because I worked three days a week for 12 hours total in the week. That's another fun thing to talk about. Is um, So I had a cardiac rehab business back in Minnesota for 10 years, and I worked 12 hours a week for 10 years, lived within my means, but I spent a lot of time just hosting. And so I just had the light bulb moments that, hey, you know what? I, people enjoy this. I think I could maybe get into hospitality. And so I was traditionally trained college and healthcare, but quickly we started to make plans, which took about four years to find Salida, Colorado and start a hostel and basically welcome people into my home. And that was super fun and energizing for me. And and you can make a living doing it. And so that's yeah. called Sal- the Simple Lodge and Hostel here in Salida. And my wife and I and a friend of ours started that in 2007. Is that the one by the baseball fields or the one... Downtown, straight downtown. Oh yes, yeah. yep. Simple lodge and hostel. So My that, wife that was used really to work fun. next door. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I guess you've got a lot to the list, but I guess let's start with the hostel. You started it from scratch, or did you buy it as a hostel? Well, we started from scratch. So we looked all over the Rockies. We knew we wanted to be in the Rockies, somewhere in the Rockies. So I created a little Rubik system for each town in the Rockies. You know, did it have Winter tourism, summer tourism, what was the real estate like? What was the vibe like and, and livability? And so I had this system that I created and we ultimately landed on Salida, Colorado. I had been, and I visited. And so in 2007, found a building that was pretty old and needed a lot of work and bought, bought the building. It was, it was in a duplex. It was a duplex at that time and it was a good location. And so then began reno- renovations and Basically, I was not a carpenter or anything like that, but Colorado is great for, you know, Mavericks and pioneers <laughs> and entrepreneurism. And so just went to work to, and create the space the way we wanted it. And we opened up nine months after we arrived. Wow. So a lot of people know Tyler and I are very deep into the assisted living business. And we're in regards to not the big box facilities, but a, like a house that you convert and you have about 10 to 14 residents there. They call it residential assisted living, more home-like. And we found that our largest hurdle by far is dealing with the city in regards to zoning, having that many people stay in one house at a time. How did you get through that? And did having the fact that it was a duplex, did that help you at all? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, any any property within a county or a municipality is going to have fall within an established zoning district, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, your your leaders they make a map, and there's different things that are allowable per zone. And so, we're in a downtown commercial zone, and so 
I knew that I had to be in that zone. I couldn't be in a residential zone to do a hostel, but I could have been in a residential zone to do a bed and breakfast. And so there's these simple, uh, you know, there's these details you really have to search through. Usually the land use code within a municipality is going to spell that out. And often you can ask a city planner or part of their staff to sit down with you. That's a really good thing I'd recommend for anyone looking to buy real estate that they want to do some sort of business is just meet with the city planning group. And they now were, they're pretty good about just sitting down and then you can just ask questions because sometimes you buy a building and it's not allowable for what you want to do. Right. And that's, that can be a challenge. So we knew that going into it. However, we didn't know that it was a historical building and there was very little that we could do to it because of the historical significance and yeah. so that was a big roadblock on on how we were going to remodel it and things like that. So there's always, always roadblocks. You know, your budget goes down to zero and mm-hmm. you just have that faith in what you enjoy doing and live within your means and eventually it all comes together. Yeah. So hostels, obviously, they're extremely popular in, popular in Europe, not so much in the United States. You don't see them very often. But I've always been curious, how does a city classify them as? Like, you know, our zoning laws, we, believe it or not, we still have boarding houses within our zoning laws. Is it considered like a boarding house or what do they consider it? It's, it's considered a bed and breakfast usually in, but a, it's, it's, so in Salida, they, they would call it a, like a boarding house slash hotel. Oh. And so not technically a bed and breakfast. And actually, when I set out, I was setting out to do a bed and breakfast because with my healthcare, like diet and exercise background, I really enjoyed cooking. So I thought I was going to open a bed and breakfast. And then I toured a couple of bed and breakfasts and I realized like that's probably not my clientele. I was in my 30s and it is way easier to exceed expectations on a youth hostel than it is to meet expectations on a bed and breakfast. Financially, you know, I mean, just like just to be able to deliver a product that is wonderful, like you know, bed and breakfast, you got to have this awesome breakfast and you got to have everything's got to be perfect. And you're charging 250 bucks a night, a hostel, you can charge 20 bucks a night and you keep it clean and you're killing it. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, I see. Yeah. So that was one thing that kind of really helped me decide. I wanted to do a, a hostel instead of a bed and breakfast. And, and so, yeah, we have 24 beds within the building. It's 2,400 square feet. And it's fun when you just pack it full of people during the high tourism season. And so you talked to the city planner. Obviously, you got, was it a conditional use permit or did you have to go for the city a, council? Um, uh, well, we got our uh, remodeling. Actually, back then, you didn't have to have a, a remodeling permit. But now that you would get a remodeling permit to remodel the inside, get it inspected, and then they give you a certificate of occupancy. So you can change the use. It was considered a, a rental apartment. That was its use. And we changed it to a, I think, hospitality lodging or whatever they call it in the city of Salida. So it was like a conditional use. We just had to get that certificate of occupancy that so that we could, we're legal to start taking people in. 
I know a lot of our listeners are probably wondering, change of use, that sounds expensive or time-consuming, was it? Yeah. Yeah, like if you if you hired perhaps a builder or a lead carpenter, they might charge you for that time, but really it's just a usually just a small fee, administrative fee to to go through the process. It's not at the state level or even the county level, it's usually just at your city level. And for example, so what we did here, we've got land use code through the city of Salida. You go on the website, you can search the land use code, read through it, and there's a big spreadsheet chart tells you by the zone what's permissible. You know, grocery stores, churches, campgrounds, you know, it tells you if it's permitted or not permitted. And so once you do find out what is permitted, then they right on the website is a um, a form for a change of use. You know, your your permit application. It's all right there. It's just it takes digging through, right? We don't learn this stuff necessarily in school or anywhere in life. And but it is usually accessible to the general public, which is good. You, and you just have to put your time in. You know, you don't want to quit your day job until you've had a side hustle for three years. I mean, that's usually the what, right? It takes a long time to make your side hustle become your main gig, but I'm kind of diverging there topics. Well, that's that's a good information. Keeping your day job for until it's established after three years. Wow. So did did you have a day job at W uh, W2 income while you were setting up this hostel? Yeah, yeah. So my I had a cardiac rehab business in Minnesota for 10 years. It was not necessarily lucrative. It was just paying the bills, just you know, single hippie. And that was fantastic. So I did pick up a job picking up trash after the subcontractors for large construction company in town. And so put on the hard hat every day, pushing the broom. Uh it was 12 hour days while we're doing construction. And so, yeah, you have to work pretty hard. And I think I pretty much blacked out during that time to, to <laughs> the of, of opening in time for summer. But yeah, I, and I learned some things from the construction company because I didn't know a lot about construction. So that was super helpful too, to see, learn some tricks from the, the carpenters. Oh, that's, that's a good idea. So you were almost like a carpenter apprentice while you were starting up this hostel. So you, you gained information for your side hustle at the same time. That's smart. Yeah, but I pushed a broom. <laughs> well, I guess that's hard. Uh, it was hard. It was, it was humbling. In fact, I actually was cleaning. We were building a new hospital at the time, and I was cleaning the cardiac rehab room, you know, picking up trash, people yelling at me. And I met the cardiac rehab director at the time, and I was like, hey, I work in cardiac rehab. And she was like, yeah, right, you do. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, you it was it paid the bills. It was great. Wow. Okay, so you got the hostel set up, and now uh, it's profitable. What? Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're like me. You're like a serial entrepreneur. What's next? What's next? What was next? <laughs> so we did the hostel for 10 years, and... And was married and had kids, and we lived in the back. We built a house behind the hostel, above the garage, kind of a little ADU sort of thing. Oh, you lived, and so that we lived just behind it in the ADU, and which is an accessory dwelling unit, sometimes called the you know mother-in-law cottage or whatever. So we were able to live there, and by the time we had our second child, it was getting really challenging to check people in at four o'clock in the afternoon, 
and you know, try to be a dad. And so it just got really challenging there with real young kids. And so we hired a manager. We were able to hire a manager for a year. And during that time, I we we promoted the business was for sale, and we found an ex coworker or an ex ex staff member, and her and her husband ended up buying the business from us. But you still so, own the real estate. We own the real estate. Yeah, we still own the real estate, and we sold the business and kept pretty tidy books, and 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 so that was great. So then we sold the business, and then I had been doing some little freelance work back in the the health realm with public health, local public health, and then I just realized the hospital needed a real cardiac rehab and wellness program which is like diet and exercise and primary prevention, you know, just healthy eating and all that stuff. It didn't have that. And so our community really values that. And so I was able to get a meeting with the CEO and who was really had a great open door policy. And I had a, a great Venn diagram and a budget. <laughs> and I walked in and slapped it down on the desk and he said, we'll try it. And so I started, I started in 2013 to build up uh, basically, it was a protege of the of the business I had in Minnesota, and I worked at Mayo Clinic when I first graduated. But just tried to take all that knowledge and incorporate it here. And so we started. It was just me working twenty hours a week, and I was doing the hostel, and that built up. And by the time I left after ten years of doing the hospital, we had six six employees in our department, and we were managing cardiac rehab and wellness and. And it was awesome. So I trained up someone there. It's a very challenging community, Michael, as you know, to make rent here and, and buy real estate. And all my staff were young, out of college. And and I have on four days a week. This town works on four days a week. I don't know if you've noticed, but... No, no <laughs> yes. Except on Fitbark like, weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, gang, this is a hard place to live. I, want you, I don't want to like keep hiring new people because you guys can't afford to live here. And so what we did was we started installing artificial grass. So me and the wellness team, this is your, your, yeah. wait, your employees that did my yeah. grass were part of the hospital at the wellness team. Very close. That's how it started. And then it, we, so we're working four days a week. They need money. I didn't want to keep hiring people. And so I, I found a way to help them make money on the side. And so we all installed artificial grass at my house and we learned how to do it. And then we did my neighbors. And then we said, we want an outdoor exercise studio at the hospital. This is me and my team. And we put in the bid and we won the bid against the other landscaping companies in town to install the artificial grass. And by that time, we were pretty good at it. And so every weekend that we could, we were installing artificial grass around town. And my staff were making a lot of money using their bodies and their brains. I mean, it, it takes focus. Sure. And a couple of them were able to buy a house in town. And so that was pretty wow. cool. And now they run the, the wellness department. And I, I left two years ago. When when the Salida Turf, my present landscaping and artificial grass business basically took off into full time, 
after about three years of it being kind of a side hustle. So that makes sense. You sold the wellness business to? No, I, I just trained in my, my, my chief turf installer. I trained that person then to become the director of wellness and cardiac rehab. And I retired from that job. So now that, yeah. I'm curious, did you do this sequentially? Like for example, you know, as we're talking, we're talking the hostel, the wellness center, then the turf. Did, yeah. did you did you sell the business for the hostel first and then move on to the wellness and then send that off on its own and then move on to the turf or all three at once at one point? It overlaid. It so time period. If there was, a, if there was you know, time, a, a timeline, the hostel business, I started the hospital. I knew that I knew that I couldn't continue to be a dad and run the hostel. Oh, uh, yeah. And so I knew I needed an exit strategy. Mm-hmm. And my exit strategies take time, I guess, at least for me. And so I had to find another plan. And so I started getting back into healthcare. But, I, but there wasn't a job for me necessarily that I wanted to do. So I just kind of had to present that to the CEO. So those overlapped. The hostel and the and the hospital overlapped and then the hospital and turf overlapped as well 10 years later wow if that makes sense yeah it's it's very interesting you know so you talked about don't quit your day job until your side hustle is established after three years yeah your side hustle became your day job and then you found another side hustle and then wow stepped in like that i i think that's a huge lesson to, to myself and everybody on here wow Sure. Um, so, I was always curious. So, th- there's a lot of artificial turf franchise businesses, and when I first met you, I wasn't sure if it was a, a franchise or not. It didn't seem like it v- via your name or logos or anything. Yeah. Did, were you considering doing a franchise with that, or what were you thinking? No, I mean I've looked into franchises and I've been interested in some franchises and. You know, like Snap Fitness, that twenty-four uh-huh. hour gym, and Dairy Queen, and or or turning the hostel into a franchise that other people could start a hostel called mm-hmm. a Simple Lodge, and you know. So I've looked into that area, but ultimately, I just haven't. I haven't really gone down that route. So no, I, I haven't looked at franchising it, but I think that's a possibility uh, for sure. But yeah, it's just a small landscaping business. And and I like branding, so we made a logo and try to run it like a a real mm-hmm. professional ship, I guess. Wow, because I know a lot of listeners right now, you know, whether they're in real estate or been wanting to get into real estate. Right now, everyone's trying to navigate this a very interesting real estate market, thinking of other ways to get that you know second source of income, like myself. And yeah. one of those with low money down is hey, maybe I should talk to a franchise broker or whatnot. So that's why I asked that question. It was it's really interesting to hear that you don't necessarily need to do the franchise, but it sounds like you're self-taught in the artificial turf uh, compared mm-hmm. to I guess a franchise that would take a fee but would train you. So yeah, franchise is one option, but not the only option. That's interesting. Yeah, I think we benefit in a small rural town. Mm. To some extent, there's a lot of landscapers in a big city. So putting a lot of plumbers, a lot of tradespeople to really get your name out there. Franchising is a really good idea because now you've got 
you can really spend some money on marketing and, and then you're going to get more calls, but you have a bigger crew. You know, we, we have a capacity issue with a small town like this. We can't, there's no point in it. It's word of mouth and it works out that well. So I think that's probably the biggest reason I have stayed away from franchising or, or buying a franchise out here. Cause I bet I probably could pick a front range business and say, Hey, can I use, can you train me in and we use your logo and stuff like that? But I, I didn't see the benefit to that. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. So being in a small town, you have less competition, so it might be easier to start out on your own. You know, you mentioned uh, word of mouth. That's how I, that's how I heard of your company is word of mouth. Oh yeah. Uh, my, my side hustle is pilot crash pads in Las Vegas. And when I first started, as you know, the hardest part when you're first starting is getting people to find you, you know? So you go on Facebook and you do all these traditional marketing, marketing uh, tactics that you think work and you get a trickle in my case. So I got like one or two and then all of a sudden it just, they, I'm getting 12 calls a day all of a sudden because it was word of mouth. I was treating those people wow. so well that boom, 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 boom. And now I can shut off all my Facebook ads, which, you, which everyone knows is not cheap, by the way, or traditional yeah. marketing and just let it run itself just from, from word of mouth. So it sounds like, you know, Vegas, Las Vegas is obviously a huge town, but my clientele was a very tight knit pilot community. And mm -hmm. it sounds like mm -hmm. you benefited from the same thing. Just it's a small town. Everybody talks. Yeah. I 100% I agree that, you know, that's how it works. It takes time for that word of mouth that's beneficial and you do have to spend some money to get the word out. I currently, and so real estate is kind of my new thing, uh, just trying to buy real estate because my body, I'm almost 50. I'm not going to be able to do landscaping forever, right? The other day I moved 20,000 pounds of rock by myself with a shovel. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but the, so I know there's an end to that. And so, yeah, so I take the money that I make and try to look for investment opportunities. And so we bought a commercial building last year and bought a piece of dirt this year. And I got to be thinking about the next plan. So I'm currently, I have this cup is someone's renting it from me and there's a coffee shop inside of it. And I retained 200 square feet to keep as a co-working space. Going back to like, how can I make money with what I have right now? Because you can't landscape so much in the wintertime. And so I was looking at this co-working space. So I created four desks that are within the coffee shop because you see a lot of people just working in a coffee shop with their laptops open. But if you needed a more private space, you're in the coffee shop, but it's private little cubbies. And, and so people rent that for me. So I'm struggling right now to figure out how to get that word out. I, I finally got a Google profile for it. So you can go on Google Maps and you can search Howard General Coworking or just Coworking in Salida. And you'll finally see the little co-working space that I created a year ago, almost now. And I've only had like 10 people use it. But I, I know that like, I'm, I'm hoping that word of mouth is going to help because yeah, it's just, it's a challenge to get those things started. But I know if I keep with it and I stay consistent, sounds like with you, the pilot crash pads that you gain that momentum. And that's why I think you have to just be in it for the long haul. There's not a lot of great quick cash businesses uh, that sustain themselves. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's why I like the idea of starting small. 
you know, cause you're not going to get rich overnight, but if you start small, like, like you're doing right now, I mean, one builds the other, builds the other, builds the other. So I'm, I'm curious. So you own the commercial real estate. Did you have to set it up as a coffee shop or did the, you know, the, the tenant set up all the equipment and make it a coffee shop? Yeah, it was basically an empty shell. And so about the building and then pretty quick, just got in there to think about a layout that might be appealing for a coffee pot. I secretly love coffee and I just wanted to like own a coffee shop, <laughs> I guess. But I knew that I couldn't run it mm-hmm. just the day to day. Me, I was mildly interested in that, but like um, my brain would just keep me away from it eventually thinking about other stuff. So I did the work to build a little, you know, the shelving and all that stuff to make it like a coffee shop shell. And then fortunately, just through like, you know, Facebook marketplace and word of mouth, people heard about it and there was prospective people and there's just one established coffee shop that I decided to go to sign a lease with and now they run it. So it's been great. I've always been curious. So when you buy commercial real estate, you, you have to have an idea in mind of what you want to be there. So it sounded like you kind of set up the skeleton of a coffee shop in order to attract that tenant. I did. I mean, that, that is, I did it the non-traditional way. Well, oh. We should be clear. Like when you see, when you drive by commercial real estate and you see that for lease, you know, build a suit kind of stuff, that's where like the owner is willing to, it's just a shell and that owner is going to build it to your desires. Cause, and that's, that's normal. And what's also normal is just keep it a shell and let the, let your tenant do all the work. Oh. I mean, that's normal. But I, felt like this area which was kind of newish new area of town needed a coffee shop so because uh, i did say no to a couple of people that were willing to pay and do all the work um i i didn't have to make that decision i guess i just i was able to say that's what i want i really want a coffee shop and so we kind of held out uh, it, it took about four months but we held out I didn't, I didn't take out a loan on it and we bought it cash. So it was just, we're in a good position there to not have to worry about all that. So does that make sense? It does. Curious, Tyler and I have been delving into the commercial realm. How long of a lease of a commercial lease do you have at the coffee shop? We did a two year to start, but in my experience, just working at the hospital and where we've had to rent space. Anywhere from three to six is pretty normal. We have a six-year lease with the hostel. So we own the building. The business has a six-year agreement with us. The previous owners had a five-year agreement with us. And so it's pretty a multi-year is pretty normal versus residential, which is you know usually one year at a time. So sure. And so in that multi-year lease, do you have rent increases built into the lease? Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to do commercial leases. You know, triple net is Mm -hmm. is popular, which is where they're paying for the utilities, the insurance on the building, as well as a rent, the property and the property taxes, sorry, and all that. So double net leases and and whatever you want to dream up, as long as you have a solid lease. Um, I've got a person who's been great for me, a commercial real estate lawyer or attorney. And so he can draft up a, a lease for me and it doesn't cost a lot of money. And then, you know, you've got a good, a good lease to move forward on. 
Wow. Yeah, that, the commercial realm is very exciting because of that. You could just sit back and you know you, your rents are going to increase just you know following the market for five years. Wow. Uh, do oh, you, yeah. I mean, since I guess you had what would be considered maybe residential leases when you had the the hostel, and now switching to commercial, you know, now you rent out the hostel, now you rent out the coffee shop. Will you ever go back to residential? I mean, it sounds like nobody comes back. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a great point, Michael. I remember the days, you know, when I was back in Minnesota running the cardiac rehab business. And, and that's, you know, someone has a heart attack and then they, they see their cardiologist and and then they, they decide to live a healthier life, right? And so I would, I would see them three days a week, get to know these people. It's almost like personal training for cardiology. And, and the guys that were not sweating it, they're in their 70s, 80s. They all had commercial real estate. And they told me when I was 22, 24 years old, they're like, well, I get commercial real estate. So I remember that and I respected those guys. And it took me a while, but I, I do think commercial real estate, it's great. And that's, you can get burned, but you have, you know, right now I have a row housing unit, right? So I have no roof. There's no sides. I only maintain the front and the back of the building and 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 it, it only receives traffic during the day. Residential, you got the whole building, it's usually less rent, and there's that wear and tear nonstop every single day because they're living in it. You know what I mean? And so I think that that's a win. Now, if you you can be sitting for a while in between tenants on a commercial real estate you know you lose a tenant and it might be a while till you get one if it's you know it's just not the right fit or whatever so i found that to be advantageous wow so you started in minnesota knowing that commercial is like that's the goal oh yeah wow and obviously with the hostel it sounds like the commercial zoning is what really launched you if you said if it was residential you wouldn't be able to have a hostel right it was it was yeah Correct. Correct. Exactly. And I mean, I can't stress the importance of a small town banker that has oh. a, where there's a, there's a board of directors at that bank and they look at those loans. You ask for money, they look at those loans and they're also looking at their town, what their town needs, your reputation, things like that. And so our local bank has also like taken a leap of faith a few times with us, like when we built a little ADU behind the hostel and and then they financed our current house that we live in and just, you know, there's just like that's been that's been helpful for sure. So there's a lot of things that come together and then just people helping you out, right? Grandma gave me $2,000 on a down payment back in the day and very lucky to have people that are able to do that. Not everyone does for sure. Wow. I know that's going to be a big question. So we had a few episodes back, we interviewed a banker in regards to small business loans, SBA loans, that is. Mm -hmm. Did you, or, and do you still use SBA loans? So, yeah, I mean, the, the Minnesota business that I had was, was service-based. I mean, it was like personal training, a good, good way to think of it. And, and so when you buy a commercial building in Colorado, and you want to start a business, you know, we, we were, we needed like a, a little startup cash. So we went to the small business development center and we, we got an SBA loan 
they call it a gap loan. And it was we had to put together the spreadsheets, the cash flow statements, and all that. And this was before we, I mean, this is like right when we opened. We just knew we needed some operating cash. And so some cash on hand. And I can say those words now. Like I didn't know what that meant back then. I had to have a friend help me to teach me how to do a cash flow statement. And I was like, hey, the bank wants a cash flow statement, or SBA wants a cash flow statement. Like I didn't know what that stuff was. I was an exercise physiologist. And so we got all that taken care of and we we got like a, a $10,000, $20,000 gap loan from SBA and we paid it off in two years. And that was remarkable. They they gave us a five-year term to pay it back. We were able to pay it back in two years. We we're pretty lucky. And was that a small bank in Minnesota? No, that was here in Salida. Oh. That was the local small business development center. Oh, wow. Maybe. Which is a national program. You know, SBA loans are a national program. Sure. Every every community has one. So Wow. So now you got the coffee shop and the turf business. What's next? <laughs> What's next? Right. I mean, the president of the ice rink association. And oh, we're really? trying to get here. Yes. Uh, so I didn't know that. We our board of directors were five one C three. We bought Colorado Colleges ice rink. When they got their new arena, we bought their old equipment, which was still in really great shape. And it's in storage here in Salida, waiting for a per- permanent home. And so we are working on finding a permanent home for the ice rink. And so I spent a lot of time doing that. I, I could see maybe there could be a job out of that, although I'm not totally hanging out on that opportunity. D- did you raise money for that 503C in order to get that ice rink? Or how did that work? Yeah, we raised some money and yeah, we know the I mean, the grants are out there. I've done a lot of grant writing now in my old age. And so, yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I brought on a very good friend who is going to be taking over the turf business, turf and landscaping. So he has moved to town and I'm currently training him. And so in a year, I'll be out of that business and I mean, the future's TBD. Slightly, although I know I can build a, a townhome and that'll make some money and hopefully keep one of those units. And then we'll have like five rentals, I think, at that point. The commercial rentals or long term residential general, or commercial? Oh. Yeah, we got the two buildings, the two units at the hostel. So one of those is residential. Uh, oh, so I, am, I do have a residential tenant that's living in the back. The commercial loan, that's the hostel, the coffee shop building. And then we're going to build a duplex. And then we have one more building site on our current house. So we'll build something there eventually. And just try to have a little bit of income that comes from real estate and and then pursue the things I'm interested in. I'm still very interested in healthcare stuff. And I'm curious with the duplex and your residential real estate, uh, is that all from the income from your businesses or did you raise private money like investors? No, we, yeah, I mean, everything's from personal. Try not to, I, I'm, I think I'm done I'm trying to not borrow money anymore. We got a small balance on the hostel. Our home loan, we're just calling that separate. And that that's a really great uh, interest rate. We were lucky there. But like, I mean, everything else, all the investment real estate that I'm into now, I'm really trying to do cash, cash-based if I can, which helps when you are just kind of in the power position. I mean, the, the hospital, for example, is very fun. W-2 employee, 
but I was in the power position financially to not have to do that job anymore. And that helps you make decisions that are more in line with your values and who you are and what you want to do and all that jazz. I mean, that's an important place to get to, I think. So I like beans and rice. We don't eat out a whole lot. You know what I mean? There's all, you just live within your means and then you live a happy life. And eventually, I mean, I'm super lucky to have the investments I do have and we try to save money and things like that. So, Wow. John, I, I really wanted you on the, the podcast because I love your journey. And it sounds like your journey is very organic. It's kind of like, you know, the, the tortoise win, wins the race kind of journey, you know? The jack of all trades, which we both know this town is full of lots of jacks, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Everybody's in the, the white water or skiing in the wintertime and has tons of like little side businesses. That's why I love this town, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I think it's a good wake up call for myself and probably a lot of listeners too that getting to your financial goals isn't going to be overnight. It might not be in getting McDonald's or anything big, but like, you're doing john it's just hey i really like taking care of people i'm going to start a hostel and i'm going to work with the city sounds like you worked with the city the city planner directly rather than trying to go under the radar to get busted later um, <laughs> right which well you know that's kind of popular oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. i mean sometimes yeah I, I, I get why yeah and then you one business built on the next built on the next built on the next and obviously it took some time but well, I don't know if people are, are listening, they can't see the smile on John's face, but <laughs> he's a very happy person, <laughs> even though it's been a, a, a slow trot. You've been doing everything that you like to do. You wanted the coffee shop. I'm excited about the ice rink. I've heard about it. I didn't realize you were the face behind it, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and so now the end, you've got this 503C, which is a nonprofit. And people think nonprofit has no profit, but we both know that's not true. It's just the organization of it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love your story, John. That's why I had to get you on this podcast and share it with everybody. Because it sounds like you started from very humble beginnings, just like myself, just like everybody listening here. And you just step by step worked your way. And I like the fact that, you know, now you feel like you don't have to get a SBA loan. You don't need investors anymore because you've built that baseline and continue on to, to that journey. Uh, and I don't know if it's true, but it sounds like you didn't have the end in mind. You just Kind of I like this, I like this, and the bills. Is that right? I mean, I, I think that's the way it's played out. And yeah, I've always enjoyed what I what I do. And my, I knew my values from a pretty young age of just, I didn't want to be working 40 hours a week. Uh, yeah. I, I knew that there was more to life than that. And and so I, I think living within your means is really important too. So oh, and yeah. making wise decisions financially. I listened to a lot of people telling me about investments. So, yeah, I mean, that's important, you know. You know, guys like you, I mean, I read books. I've read a lot of great books and just respect to those people that have gone before me, I guess. Yeah. Exciting, John. So, obviously, I've been typing up Salida. I know I shouldn't on this podcast for a while, but I love it. You know how it is. This this town is like, great. it's the Andy Griffith show. It's Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I love it. I, I won't leave. So if anybody is listening and they happen to be coming in the town for the whitewater season this summer, uh, if they want to get a hold of you and maybe the hostel or your coffee shop, can, can you kind of share how people can help you out and patronize you? Yeah. Yeah. The So the hostel, we're still very tied emotionally to it for sure. We want to keep it a hostel. I mean, we could just sell it, right? And 
It's a great location, but simplelodge.com. You can find the hostel. It's a cute little funky hostel with a you know, block from everything. The Whitewater Festivals and all the restaurants and great breweries and distilleries. So that's simplelodge.com. And then, you know, landscaping, we do a lot of rock walls and native grasses as well as artificial turf. And so we're called Salida Turf, salidaturf.com. You can f- see a lot of pictures of all the work that we did. And um, I get to work with my buddies uh, every day. I mean, it's just the best. And so that's their side hustle. And it's my full hustle right now. Um, and then Howard General is the name of the coffee shop down on the east side of town. And so we've got a little co-working space and then it's a coffee shop and mercantile in a pretty cool up and coming spot. So, I mean, I do have dreams for other commercial things I can tell you about someday, but it's, um, those are still in their, their seed, seed stage. <laughs> See, I, that's what I like about you, John. You know, a lot of people who haven't done anything yet, they love to tell their dreams and then eventually their dreams don't happen. And then it's embarrassing, but right there. You want to keep your dream a secret until successful, and then you'll tell a story. That says sure. a lot. That really says a lot. You know, you go on YouTube and there's a bunch of dreamers talking on there about how to make a million dollars, and you wonder, did, have they ever really done it? Yeah, yeah. They're just right. talking to get clicks. So, thanks yeah. for that, John. And uh, yeah, I, I love your story. Hopefully, your listeners can get something out of that. Slow and steady wins the race, and j- do something you like. Do something you like, or you know, go like going back to the rich dad sentence that reminded me when I started this whole journey. Think of what you have either physically or knowledge-wise that can make you money with as little money as possible. And that's the first step. And obviously with John's example, it just builds and builds and builds until he gets to do his next dream. So thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Hopefully Tyler will be on uh, next week, but I had to give him a break. So thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Michael. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.